Well, it is good to be with you here this morning on Christmas Eve. It is our first service of two. Uh, We're having another one tonight, and I hope that you'll come back for that. And so we've been uh, doing a series called The Gift of Jesus. We're talking in this Advent season about how all the gifts that we have from God are found in the Lord Jesus Christ, as he gave us his son. We've talked about how we have the gift of love, the gift of peace, the gift of hope, and now we're going to be talking about the gift of joy. Kids, I'm glad that you're here with us, because I think kids oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes kids are a source of great joy and excitement, especially this time of year. And so kids, uh, are you excited that it's Christmas Eve? Oh, come on, guys. I had In my sermon notes, you were excited, so help me out here. Kids, are you excited that it's Christmas Eve? Thank you. Thank you. I heard that. We, I think we love to, to, some things that really fill us with joy are good news. We like hearing good news. So-and-so is getting married or so-and-so is, is pregnant or, or has delivered a, a child or someone got a job promotion or whatever it might be. We love hearing good news. And we also like receiving good gifts. So kids, the good news, uh, it, is, it is Christmas Eve and the wait is almost over. Uh, adults, if you need something to get excited about, especially those of you who grew up in the 80s, um, I'm a I'm a fan of Hulk Hogan. You may you may have noticed um, uh, if you've been around me a little while. Actually, I had a story this past uh, summer. We went to um, Clearwater Beach, Florida, for vacation. He actually has a surf shop there on a whim because my son had sunburn. He didn't want to stay at the beach. We just walked into that shop, and he happened to be there filming a promo. So that was pretty cool. And anyway, I got some good news that I got excited about that uh, he got baptized this week. And so he has. Um, I hear him saying, "Let me tell you something, brother. Christ is Lord. So say your prayers and eat your vitamins." That's exciting. I, got, I even had a post on Instagram about it, right? So, Because um, it is good news, right? And so we, we get joyful when we receive good news and we receive good gifts. And at Christmas, at this time, we receive both. And that's what the, the story of Christmas is really all about. That in this story we have that God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to earth. That He took on human flesh, that He could dwell among us, And that he could save us, rescue us, and bring us back to God. And so this is the gospel, the good news. But it's also, it's what's good news and a great gift. And so let me read to you this morning, very briefly from Luke 2, 8 through 12. Pastor Tim is going to talk more about this tonight. But I just want to let this be our scripture to kind of help us get in the mode here. Luke 2, starting in verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I love that announcement. He says, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. And this is for everyone. This is for all the people, right? And this joy is this, this pleasant passion, this desire, this, uh, this delight and, and celebration in some good thing, this great gift, this great news that a Savior is born and He is for you. The Savior is for you. 
And so the gospel is that good news because the coming of Christ, God is giving you access to joy unlike anything you will find anywhere else in the world. It is the joy that comes only through Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at what that means. How does Christ give us this joy from God? So I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll dig in. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come into your presence, as we look at your word, as we talk about you, would you fill us with joy that only comes from your presence? Help us, Lord, in this season as we're excited about family and, and meals and, and presents and all those things. Lord, may we delight in you and would you give us this joy that can only be had in Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So we begin talking about this fact that we kind of have to start with. And this is that we are talking about a God who is joyful. And I actually want to start asking you a question. Uh, do you think that God is a joyful being? Do you think of him as, as somebody who is full of lights and love and, and joy? And I think some of you are like, yeah, I think I haven't heard someone say, yeah, of course. But not everyone feels that way. Some people, I think, can easily think of God as, as someone who's grumpy, is frustrated, annoyed, bored, angry all the time. They get a picture of, of God as, you know, well, why, God, he judges people, this God, he, he sends people to hell, he must be annoyed and frustrated and bothered. In fact, there are many people, I think, who, who want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with religion at all because they think God is this joyless harsh being who just lays down rules to actually keep you from experiencing joy. Isn't that, isn't that what, what Satan originally said to Eve? Like, no, 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 God, God is holding you back. God is keeping you from doing what you actually want to do. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to experience things like joy. Why do we feel that way? I mean, there's, there's many reasons why people come to that conclusion. I think for some, some people I think maybe don't know a lot about God. They don't know a lot about their heavenly father, but they know a lot about their earthly father, and he wasn't a man of joy. So, some of you may have experienced that. You had a dad who was grumpy, withdrawn, critical. And so you, you said, you know what, if I, that's how you associate a father. Like, it's not somebody who's really joyful, more of a curmudgeon. And, and maybe you've kind of transferred some of that thinking onto God. Well, if my earthly father's like that, what's my, is that what God is like as well? I'll confess, some of us dads, and I'll include myself in that, have not maybe done the best job of this, of demonstrating what a joyful father is. As head of the home, we represent the fatherliness, the fatherliness of God. And often, I know I have, and maybe you have too, come home a little cranky, disinterested, complaining, finding fault easily, issuing orders and, you know, and, it's, and finding things for people to do, but not giving compliments, not encouraging, not laughing, more often scowling than smiling. I mean, fathers, are you joyful? Because I think we teach something about God as father one way or another. Well, the Bible does teach us that God is father but that he is also joyful. But not that he is just like a little joyful, right? But that he is the source and sum and fountain of all joy. Let me read to you from Psalm 36, 7 through 9. It says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind 
take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. And God is the source of all goodness, the source of all blessing. He is the source of all joy. I think joy is God's natural state. Right? We, we delight in things that are kind of like outside of ourselves. Like I said, when we receive good news, when we eat good food, when, when we have a, a pleasurable experience, when something good happens, we, 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 we connect that. But, but God doesn't, it's not because of exterior things that God is joyful. God is joyful in of himself because of his own perfections. Right? Joy, so joy is not something outside of God that he's just really good at. It's, it's an attribute of who he is. God is, just like God is love and justice and peace and righteousness, God is joy. He's the very definition and standard of joy. Any good thing that you experience, anything good that you enjoy is the overflowing of his own being. Every good gift that you receive is from him. And God made you in such a way that you could actually delight, not just in the things of this earth, not just, in, but delight in Him, which is really a unique thing, right? Animals have very, are very simple creatures, right? Like dogs and cats. They delight in like the simple things of like food and a good nap. Now those are good things, right? But they don't delight in the living and true God the way we do. We were created to delight and have joy in Him in a way that, that other creatures do not. Psalm 1611, and I, I love this psalm. I come back here a lot. And you should see on the screen here, it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And heaven will be filled with smiles and singing and laughter and feasting and rejoicing. And heaven is not heaven, it's because where you get everything you want. Heaven is, is joyful because God is there. And all the singing and laughing and all the joy is because that is where God is. And the joy of his presence is felt in full. Hell is not that way. It's filled with sorrow and weeping and anger and gnashing of teeth because the joy of God's presence is not felt there. Only his anger. Man, but God is a God of joy. So settle that in your minds, that God is a God of joy and delight, and he is not cold, absent, critical, grumpy. He is the fullness of life itself. So if you don't know God, you're actually cutting yourself off from the fullness of joy that you could have, that you were made to have. But rather, to be in his presence is to experience the fullness of joy. Some of you maybe know someone, you know a person, a friend or a family member who you just love like being around them. They make everyone smile and laugh and feel better when they enter the room. Everyone kind of turns towards them and they're excited that they're there, glad that they're there. I, I have several people that come to mind in my own life. Uh, I think growing up I had an uncle, uh, Uncle Mike, and he was a little bit of a, a, a troublemaker when he was younger, but... I, Whenever he came over for family dinners or, or meals, he just made me laugh. And I just liked having Uncle Mike around, right? And I recently watched a video uh, where he was, like, showing me how to shoot spit wads and stuff and, like, and shoot rubber bands and everything else. So maybe he taught me some bad things. But he was a joyful man to be around. I think about it. My last church, Chestnut Hill Baptist Church, there was a man named Rex Angel. 
That, that is a name. But he was known about the town of Lynchburg, right? He, he, he'd been around for so long that he knew a little bit of everyone, right? He knew everybody. Uh, and he would just kind of shuffle around and he'd, you know, he'd, he'd kind of talk in a real southern voice like this. And, and, and I don't even know how to describe it. He was just a joyful guy. Even when things were maybe not going so well at the church, he just had like a sense that everything was going to be okay. He had a lightness about him. He liked to joke with adults and children alike. I think on our own community, I think of uh, uh, Chris Rep's parents, uh, John and Judy. I think of John. He's the kind of guy, if you know him, he's the kind of guy where if you see him in a store, he's not just going to be like, oh, hi, good to see you. He's going to be like, hey, it's good to see you. It's almost like he was looking for you in the store. He's so excited to talk to you. I've come across him before where he's talking to somebody else who I either don't know or don't know very well, and he sees me, and he's like, oh, come over, and we start talking. And before I know it, it's like there's three friends, even if I don't know the other person very well. He just brings people and makes them feel good about themselves. They just enjoy being in his presence. You see this as well, this whole idea of being in someone's presence who's joyful uh, at the transfiguration. Some of you remember that story where uh, Jesus takes... Uh, a few of his disciples up on the mountain, and he shows them who he really is in his, the fullness of his glory, right? Peter, James, and John. And they're up there, and Elijah appears with him, and Moses appears with him. And I love Peter's response. He sees all this, and he's like, it's good that we're here. <laughs> Sometimes you see something is so good, you don't, you don't have anything profound to say. Maybe when we get to heaven, we're just going to be like, it is good to be here. <laughs> and, and, and it goes further, though. Peter's like, you know what? I think we should live here. We should build some houses right here on this mountain, right? Because why would I come down off this mountain? I'm in the fullness of joy, in the presence of the fullness of joy. Why would I want to leave this place? I said all this because God, it was important that we, we realized that God is a God of joy. And the way that he gives us joy is by bringing us into his presence. He wants you to be in his presence so you can experience fullness of joy. And that is why God sent his son Jesus. Because God actually wants you to be joyful. Some of you need to hear that again. Like God actually wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be, I'll even say it this way, happy. He wants you to be blessed. His goal in life is not to make you miserable but be filled with joy. But if he's going to do that, he needs to separate you from your sins. Because sin is when we delight in the wrong thing. It's when we actually delight in evil rather than delighting in good, delighting in God. It's when we delight, or it can also be when we delight in a good thing, but to the wrong degree. And that thing, rather than just becoming a blessing, becomes an idol. We begin worshiping the created thing rather than the creator himself. And these things cannot satisfy, no matter how much they promise, no matter how much we pursue them, they are dead ends. And so as long as we are in sin, we are outside of God's presence. We cannot dwell with him. God cannot dwell with evil. So God sent his son as a gift that he might reconcile us to God by dying on the cross, paying the price of our sins, taking away the hostility that exists between sinners and God so that he can reconcile us and bring us into right relationship with him. And only then can we experience life abundant, joy eternal, peace and celebration 
in his presence forever. And the cool thing is, is that begins now. The gospel is, is more than just heaven someday. It certainly is. But it says, you know what? You can experience the joy of God's presence now. Like God says uh, that he's going to give us, and he has given us, his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Because I want to be with you always. So God gives us these blessings of his presence even now to experience. I love what the psalmist says, Psalm 4, 7. He's comparing the joy that he has living with God versus the joy that everyone else has who might be experiencing a lot of worldly pleasure. He says in John 4, 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. That's good stuff. He says, man, the joy that I have from a relationship with God is far greater than I could have from anything else in this world. The believer by faith is restored to God and begins to enjoy his presence now. And it only gets better because we get to look forward to the fullness of that joy when we see him in full and glory. But I will say right now, it's, it's kind of a hidden joy because there's still so much wrong in the world. We experience it like in part in some way. But these spiritual joys are real. And, and, and many of you Christians, if you've been a Christian for a while, you can attest to this. Some of you lived a long life as an unbeliever. Right? You lived a long life pursuing pleasures, trying to find joy, and, you're like, and you came to Christ later in your life, and you're like, oh, it's real. Oh, there's a difference. <laughs> right? And you have that peace and joy in your heart that you never had before. And so these hidden spiritual joys that a Christian possesses are different from what the world offers. And so I'd like to actually give you a couple reasons or a couple ways that the spiritual joy we have in Christ is far better than anything that we find on earth, any other worldly pleasures, right? I'm actually stealing this, I'm borrowing it, from Thomas Watson. He's a Puritan who wrote a book called The Body of Divinity. He had eight reasons why. I'm going to just give you six. We have, these are ways that we have joy in Christ. Number one, spiritual joys that we have in Christ make us better while worldly joys tend to make us worse. That which, we see, that which we seek to bring us joy in the world often makes us worse people. Have you noticed that? When we're pursuing after the, the, the things of this world, you know, whether, you know to, to bring us pleasure, it often produces within, in us a character of anger, of greed, of selfishness, of envy, of laziness. As we're pursuing worldly pleasures, it tends to make us that kind of person. But when you're pursuing godliness, when you're pursuing obedience, love, humility to produce spiritual joy, it makes you a better person, a patient, kind, loving, humble person. Number two, spiritual joys are sweeter than worldly joys. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, everything else just seems kind of bitter afterwards. You know, once you go to a restaurant and you have like a nice steak, like filet mignon, Right, like a quarter pounder doesn't seem to measure up. Right, it seems a little, a little less. And those who have tasted the joys that come from living closely with God begin to hunger and thirst for Him and say, you know what, the, the, the things of the world just don't have their same savor like they used to. I just don't desire them anymore because it's less than what I have in Christ. Number three, spiritual joys are pure whereas worldly joys are mixed. Have you ever experienced this, this for adults and kids? Have you ever experienced this where you said something to this effect, like, man, I really enjoyed that, but I probably shouldn't have. You ever laughed at a joke that you're like, oh, that was funny, but that was actually really crude. I probably shouldn't enjoy that, right? Even things 
that we enjoy in the world are often bring something with them that we don't want, like guilt or shame or regret. Like we can enjoy those things, but then they, they bring something along with them we didn't ask for, right? Like playing a video game for six or eight hours or, or binge watching Netflix for all day. Like or you do something like that and then you're like, oh, that was enjoyable, but now I feel terrible afterwards. Whereas spiritual joys are unmixed. There's never a time where you're in God's presence where you could be like, oh, I enjoyed that, but I really shouldn't have. Or I regret doing that. Like you're never going to experience that. There's no regret or shame attached to these spiritual joys we have in Christ. Number four, spiritual joys are satisfying. Right? Jesus says, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. Worldly pleasures can satisfy your taste buds. They can give you goosebumps. They can make your heart pound. But they cannot satisfy your soul. Thomas Watson says, it's as much a difference as eating a rich banquet versus seeing one painted on a wall. Number five, spiritual joys are unwearied joys. Other joys, when taken to excess, eventually breed loathing for them. You know, it's interesting. We actually get tired of our pleasures, right? I love chocolate chip cookies. I absolutely do. They're, they're, we've never improved upon the chocolate chip cookie. You can add nuts if you want to. It's unnecessary, right? I, I see that hand. Amen. Um, yeah, so chocolate chip cookies, they're perfect as they are. And I love eating one or two or three. But when I start eating four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you ever done that where you're like, oh, oh gosh, I could, like you almost feel disgusted. Like I don't, like if, if someone even offered you one, you'd be like, no, absolutely not, <laughs> right? You eat too many cookies, you feel sick. You drink too much alcohol, you get sick. You watch too much television and you begin to hate it. There's things like that. I think we sometimes think like, well, if a little is good, then a lot must be better. And a lot must be the best, right? But you ever notice it doesn't work out that way? More and more actually creates loathing for the thing itself. That should be a hint to us that God made his world. It's like, yes, I gave this as a good gift. Praise God for chocolate chip cookies. But they can't create the joy our heart longs for. And if we pursue them and try to make them fill the hole we need for joy... They won't. They'll actually make us sick. Whereas spiritual joys, the joy of walking near to God is sweet to the taste and only gets better and only gets sweeter and never turns sour but only satisfies. Number six, spiritual joys are abiding joys. Worldly joys are, are really soon gone. They may be sweet, but they are also swift. They are easy to come by but easily lost. They may be stolen from us. And those who have no joy, but what is in this world, only have it for a time, but you will lose it forever. But those who have joy in God, you will enjoy that for eternity. Only the Christian has good reason to sing praises while being persecuted, or be thankful when everything in this world is taken from him. Because the one who has Christ has unbreakable joy within. Even if only a spark of it... Peter says it is joy inexpressible and filled with glory. You'll not get that from cookies or couches or cars or anything else. 
I think we want lasting joy and we pursue them in simple pleasures. But they, those simple pleasures, even though even the good ones, will never lead to that which we were made for. Joy in the presence of God. We have this joy now in part when we seek His presence, but we'll have it in full when we see Christ in glory. The believer will have this gift of joy perfectly and forever with God in His kingdom. And heaven is paradise because God is there. He is the fullness of joy. And His pleasures are at His right hand. And we will be with Him and enjoy them forever if you have Christ. I say this. We need to understand that we also need to pursue joy. God is joy. He's given us the gift of it in His Son and brought us near to Him. And we have access to this. But we also have something we need to pursue as Christians. So three is the pursuit of God. Because God sent his son to save us and grant us joy, it is yours by right, right? It is money in the bank. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit. We see in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. And yet with all of this, we must admit that Christians do not always experience the feeling of joy. Let's be honest. Christians don't always smile. We don't always feel glory. We don't, all these good things I'm talking about, you're like, yes, but I'm not feeling that right now. Does this mean it's a contradiction? Am I, am I lying here? I don't think so. As with other blessings we have in Christ, peace, hope, love, and faith, we have the right to these things. We have possession of these things, but we must also pursue them. Like I said, it's money in the bank, but it's there to be spent. So how can we pursue joy? Let me give you a couple ways that you can be pursuing joy. And I'm sorry I don't have this written on the screen. Maybe I'll write a blog, Laura, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get these out. So how can we pursue joy? How can you do that? Number one, practice thanksgiving. Like cultivate a gratitude towards God. Like I'm going to say nothing, maybe nothing more quickly will rob you of joy, the ability to have joy quicker than an entitled attitude. An entitled person who thinks they deserve everything is the most miserable of people because they can never be satisfied. If you give them something, if you give a good gift to somebody who's entitled, they think they're not excited about it. They're like, oh, good, I deserve this, right? But if they don't receive something or less than they expected, they're up in arms because some great injustice has been done. So they're never excited, never pleased, never joyful because they only think I'm getting what I deserve or I'm not getting it. They never feel the sense of joy in getting something they don't deserve. An entitled person is prideful, believes every good thing is, they receive is owed. But that's not what we should be. Instead, be humble. The Bible says that, that the only thing God owes us as sinful people is judgment. That's actually the truth. That's what God owes us. Everything else is grace. Not just salvation. The air you're breathing right now. That you woke up from your bed this morning. If you have health in any degree, if you have children, if you're married, if you have a good job, if you live a pleasant life, every good thing, right, is, is God's grace, is God's blessing. And you can receive it as such. So like becoming, you can pursue joy by becoming a thankful person. You can, eat, you can even wake up in the morning and drink a big glass of milk. And be like, God, thank you for this milk, that I can enjoy it. It's a delightful thing, Tim. No matter, you're shaking your head, milk is good. I praise God for milk. Or orange juice with pulp. Um, 
But practice thanking God. Just be a person, you know, don't be, just be a person who say, in, in good things, just, just learn to say, oh God, thank you for this. God, thank you for this car. It's, 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 it's burning oil. It's got 200,000 miles on it, right? The, the, I don't, it doesn't have a rear seat belt. The seats are stained. It smells like a wet dog. God, thank you for my car. It has four wheels. It could have had three. Be thankful and you'll be more joyful. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It doesn't say complain, which is what we do, right? Always looking for how things aren't as good as they could be. Flip that. It's not as bad as it could be. Number two, enjoy God's material blessings, but hold on lightly. God does like to give good gifts to his kids, right? Like parents, if tomorrow morning, right, if, if your kids come, come, come out and they look under the Christmas tree, right, and there's nothing there, and they're like, where's all the gifts? Do not say, don't you just love me? I'm the best gift. I'm such a good parent to you. Now, it works with God. It doesn't work with you or me, right? Good gifts are, are a part of our joy, right? And God actually is a good father. He actually likes to give good gifts. And parents, you know that. Like, we like to give good gifts. You know, uh, spouses, we like to give good gifts to another. Friends, we do as well. We enjoy that, right? God likes to give us good gifts. So it's good to enjoy if you have youth or health or riches or accomplishments or possessions or pleasures or property or awards, honors, recognition. All of these things could be, could, can be good things. It's, it's not ungodly to say like, yes, God does bless us with good things and we can enjoy them to a, to, to a degree, remember? Because they can easily be stripped from you. And so it's not wise or good to build your life upon them. Because God gives and God takes away. And in either case, when God gives, praise God, thank you. Thank you, God, for giving me this gift. And when he takes away, God, thank you for taking that away. Because I assume it would not have been good for me to keep having it. Or you have some good reason for taking this thing away. But when you do have it, it's fine. It's fine to, to, to enjoy them and in a God-honoring way and, when, you know, and say, God, thank you for this thing. Thank you for these blessings. When God does not choose to bless you in such ways, rejoice as well. But do not let it cause your heart to stray. So, so enjoy the, the things that God give, the good gifts God gives you. Don't be resentful because he gives other people, even in this congregation, things that you don't have, right? A car with four wheels, right? Rejoice for what he's given you. Don't complain for what he is withheld from you. But whatever you have, hold those things loosely because they can be taken away. Instead, hold fast to Christ. Number three, daily seek the presence of the Lord. God sent his son to bring you near when you were far off. And so now you have the privilege of knowing God. Like that, 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 is, that is the gift. Right? You have the privilege of knowing the true and living God and living in relationship with him and walking with him. Something that hasn't been done rightly after the fall. And so in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And, and at first, I think in our flesh, we think like, no, it's boring. I can't sit down and read a book. I can't sit down and pray for five minutes. I can't sit in quiet. It is hard. It's a difficult pleasure. It's something we actually have to train ourselves at because we're so used to being fed by our pleasures, by our worldly pleasures. It's like going from like salt and vinegar Pringles to vegetables, right? This is a terrible thing. But kids, I'm only saying this because you're here, right? Like, if you have kids, sometimes it's like really hard to get them to enjoy good things because we're so used to 
junk food, right? And junk food's not bad as long as it's not like your entire diet, right? But you can say like, hey, we need, we need to move away from some of these things and, and train ourselves to love what is good. In the same way, we can train ourselves to seek the presence of God in the Word and in prayer. And you'll find once you go there, you're like, wow, this is actually the best part of my day. Like, like hearing from God and having truth revealed to me and being encouraged, right, and being challenged and hearing His voice, like, and praying and singing. Like, you'll find, like, man, this is uplifting. This is, these are joyous things. Seek God daily in His presence. Number four, repent of sin and don't walk in darkness. As I said earlier, sin is what keeps us from God and the joy of His presence. So it, it fills us with regret, it fills us with guilt, it fills us with shame. And if we like walk in that and hold on to that, we will not be filled with joy. If we walk into things that are dark, right? if, we, if we continue pursuing things that are either sin themselves or are just a celebration of things that are dark, it's not going to cause us to be joyful. Some of our entertainment choices are entertaining, but they're not filling us with joy, right? And so we need to walk away from darkness. Don't let, th- don't let sin in our heart linger or tempt. Don't let us overlook it or hide it or just remain in it, but rather don't walk in it. Walk away from it and pursue the Lord. The flip side of that is number five, walk in obedience to God. God saved you from disobedience so that you can walk in obedience. And God, I heard this quote a long time ago, God has married together holiness and happiness. It's the, may, it's the way he made his world. It's a reflection of himself. It's, it's just a truth of reality that's inescapable. That those who are the most holy are also the most happy. Doesn't mean they have the best life externally. Doesn't mean they're the richest. Doesn't mean they have the most successful. Doesn't mean that, that, ever, that they're the, the, the healthiest or the wealthiest. It doesn't mean all that stuff. It just means that they have that joy in the Lord that comes from knowing Him and nowhere else. There's joy unbreakable and full of glory. So if you believe that, that God has married holiness and happiness together, pursue holiness, and you'll find the joy you're looking for. Lastly, number six, is look to the end of things to endure what is painful in the present. James, in, the book, uh, in his letter, tells us to counter all joy when we encounter various trials. Not because the trials themselves are, are pleasant, but because it's God's means of strengthening us, making us holy, and preparing us for glory. And so no suffering or hardship is pleasant when you're in the midst of it. Let's not try to you know, pretend it is. Let's not paint on a fake smile when things are bad. Rather, if you look to your present circumstances, if you just look at what's hard and frustrating and painful right now, if you're just looking at that, yes, it, it is going to be hard. It is, not, it is going to fill you with sorrow and grief, right? And so that's why I think the Word of God calls us to consider it joy because we're not just looking at our circumstances, we're looking ahead. We're looking at what God is going to accomplish in us. We're looking to what God will do when it's all said and done. We, we can look up and we can look ahead, trusting our joyful Heavenly Father, knowing that He has good plans for us, that He has provided for us in Christ, and that we can actually sing through our sorrows. Christian, you know, you've read the end of the book, it's a happy ending, right? It's a happy ending for you. No matter how bad it gets, all the pain, all the suffering, all the frustration for you in Christ is temporary, and it's only to produce holiness and joy in you ultimately. And so look to the end of things. And I think, because if you look just at what's right in front of you, it is hard. 
And so look further down the line to where Christ is. You'll find joy. Philippians 4, 4 says, and I say it again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. As I call, I'm going to call the worship team up now to lead us as we continue singing. But as I said at the beginning, we love to hear good news. We love to receive good gifts because it brings us joy. And this Christmas, remember and believe that God has provided both for us, good news and a good gift in his son to bring you true and lasting joy. And all who trust in him, all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, have access to the God of all joy, are redeemed and brought into his presence, a presence now and forever so that we might experience fullness of joy. So that's what I hope for you. I hope you'll be able to experience that joy of the Lord this Christmas. 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, I'll end with this, says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, do, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, I'm so thankful that we have a God who saves. I'm so thankful that the God who is, is the God of joy. That, Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, that to be with you is to be happy. To be with you is to be blessed. But we, we thank you that you are that God and that you bring us to yourself through your Son. Lord, I know there are many in here who are not experiencing that. Lord, if they are believers, they may not be experiencing it for a number of reasons. Would you remind them of your sweetness? Remind them of your promises. Bring them to repentance. Lord, let them feel and experience the joy of knowing you. Restore to them the joy of your salvation. Lord, those who may not know you today, I pray, God, that you would open up their minds and open up their hearts to receive Christ as Lord and receive the joy that comes only through knowing you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus.